You're listening to Zen Sandwich, a podcast that inspires thoughtful people like you to live in the moment, be mindful in a realistic, achievable way. My name is Mark Reed. I've been a college professor and a lawyer. Now I make handmade paper in Japan. Twice a week, I bring my research and thoughts or sit down with coaches, authors, and entrepreneurs to talk about their process. What lessons do they learn along the way and how you can make an impact in your world? Hey, here we are. Given the title of this show, I don't think you can find a more appropriate guest than the one I have on today. Her name is Joan Watts. She's the eldest daughter of Alan Watts. Anyone that has listened to this show knows that I, I've quoted him often. Uh, one of my favorites uh, is, you are under no obligation to be the same person you were five minutes ago. I love that quote, and uh, I probably won't be the same after this interview. Uh, in short, arguably, Alan Watts brought Zen to the West. At the very least, he really put it on the map. He's that big to the unaccustomed listener. He wrote more than 25 books and articles on religion and philosophy, including the classics The Way of Zen and Tao, The Watercourse Way. There have been even more books published posthumously and written about Alan Watts than were published during his lifetime. He was a pioneer figure of the counterculture movement in the 1960s. When I say Alan Watts is the guy that brought Zen to the West, don't take my word for it. Go to YouTube and hear some of his talks, his lectures. You'll be impressed. It might even change your life. There are Facebook groups devoted to him, websites. Well, I am speaking with his daughter right now. Joan, along with her sister Anne, co-edited the book, The Collected Letters of Alan Watts. I'll put a link in the description. I could go on and on about the honor, but let me just welcome to the program Joan Watts. Thank you for coming on. Well, ohayou gozaimasu, and thank you for having me. Um, <laughs> it's nighttime here now. Wow, your Japanese is good. It's still, I know you lived uh, in Japan a while, right? Right. Uh, two years. Imagurai. Uh, hmm. <laughs> too many years hey, ago. <laughs> you're, well, you're, you're doing 50, better well, than it's been what? 50, 60 years ago. Yes, 60 years ago. I lived in Japan for two years. Wow. And uh, it was a, a great experience. I And I actually got to live in Japan and visit Japan prior to my father. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Well, I knew you'd been in Japan, but that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, I, I did the photography of uh, uh, Ryoanji Garden, uh, for his book, The Way of Zen. Oh wow, I didn't know that either. That's awesome. Well, that I'm I'm glad you. Uh, that's a good segue to the first thing I wanted to say, and that's that I actually want this interview, despite the the intro about your father, and I uh, I I want this interview to be about Joan Watts and about your personal experiences. You know, not just your father, and uh, I'm guessing Alan Watts would would think that was appropriate too. So, although I might ask you about your father, I really want to know what your experience has been and what you think. So, we'll we'll start with your bio. I mean, you're you're joining me now from Montana, but uh, 
you didn't grow up there, right? Right. No, I I I grew up in uh, quite a few places actually. I s- started out. I was born in New York City, uh, just a month after my uh, mother and father uh, came over on uh, the Queen Mary to uh, live in the United States. It was the kind of beginning of the war of uh, um, Nazi Germany uh, and. Uh, um, they settled in New York City, uh, which is where my mother's mother was living. Well, she was she was there uh, some of the time, but mostly uh, in the Chicago area. But she uh, was quite famous in the Zen world herself. She was the uh, first uh, Caucasian to be ordained a Zen Buddhist priest. Um, she was uh, um, Ruth Fuller Everett Sasaki. Uh, and she uh, had uh, the temple Ryosen on in Daitokuji, and um, it is, it's still there. She's been dead for, I think she died in 1968, um, but uh, she left quite a legacy in terms of uh, Buddhism as well, and that's how my mother and father actually met was through uh, the connection with her uh, and Zen, uh, they met at uh, the uh, Zen Society, or the Buddhist Society, I should say, in London. Mm. And um, uh, that was the beginning of their romance, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't know that's how your parents met, but I knew I knew about your grandmother. I had read that she uh, was, well, as you said, the first Caucasian woman to be ordained as a, as a Zen, I believe she was in the Rinzai school. Of Correct. Zen yes. And um, wow, that's amazing. Uh, what were what were your first memories of of your father? Um, well, of course, uh, when uh, he he became a um, Anglican priest, um, mm-hmm. we moved to. Um, uh, Evanston, Illinois, um, and he uh, attended Seabury Western uh, and became, uh, he had decided to become a priest that that he felt that that was the best way he could um, uh, disseminate his knowledge. uh, And uh, his hope was somehow that he could uh, unite uh, Catholicism and and, uh, Buddhism in some fashion. Um, he, when he uh, was ordained, he became the chaplain at Northwestern University, where he served for about six years. Um, and uh, so that that was kind of where most of my young memories uh, begin. And uh, um, he was very popular. Um, a lot of the students loved coming to our house for for meetings. Uh, a broad spectrum of of people. It was pretty interesting. Um, and uh, but uh, he and my mother uh, parted ways. They got divorced in uh, 1949. And at that point, he left the church. He remarried, and um, I was sent off to school in England. Uh, 
to live with his parents and and uh, uh, go to school there. And I was there for a year, and then came back to the United States. By then, he had moved out to California, and became the dean of the American Academy of Asian Studies in San Francisco. And um, he continued writing books. He switched from a heavy emphasis on Christianity to uh, more comparative uh, writing and uh, between Buddhism and Christianity and other religions as well. Um, and then uh, I was sent off to school again, boarding school. <laughs> so, uh, but that was interesting because I was sent to a private school in Southern California, which at the time was called Happy Valley School. Um, it's now the Basant Hill uh, School of Happy Valley. And um, it was founded originally by Aldous Huxley, Krishnamurti, and Rajagopal, and uh, one or two others whose names I don't recall at the moment. So it was a, it was very, what would have been considered in the 60s and 70s, a free school. Um, and um, it, it was very... By, by free, you mean, uh, I, I mean sort of... Experimental. More experimental, I guess. I got you. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, did, did you, at what point did you have a notion that, that Alan Watts, your father, was a a revolutionary, a, a celebrity of sorts. Um, you know, I mean, as a little well, girl, you might not have been aware, but when when did you sort of become aware of his sort of cultural status? Um, that would have been in uh, uh, the fifties when I uh, went to Happy Valley. Um, okay. uh, he was one one of the people that came to speak. Uh, we had people like Gerald Hurd, and of course Krishnamurti spoke, and Aldous Huxley spoke uh, to the student body, um, and my father was one of those. And um, uh, you know, people hung on his words. <laughs> so <laughs> they still do. Was, they still do. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, so it was it was pretty interesting, and you know, uh, when we went places, there was uh, some adulation going on so it became quite apparent um so yeah well so in the so that was in the 50s in the in the 1960s you were you were in your 20s at that time correct right. yeah i i was okay. married when i was 20 uh i married in japan uh oh. a uh, <laughs> me too <laughs> uh, an american navy officer and um, I had uh, we moved back to his hometown, which was a suburb of Chicago, and um, we raised three children. Uh, we were divorced in uh, what nineteen sixty nine, I guess it was about there. And then at that time, I, I moved back to the. Uh, Bay, San Francisco Bay Area, and um, I was remarried and lived on the coast of California in Bolinas. Mm. And I had one more child and adopted an, a, a Korean child. And so I have 
five children altogether and nine grandchildren. Wow, awesome. Any any great grandkids yet? No. <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> no, my my oldest son didn't get married until he was thirty five, so he's a slow starter. Yeah, me, well, me too. I mean, I'm I'm looking at my forty fifth birthday soon, and uh-huh. I I just got married a little more than a year ago, first time. Yeah. Are, <laughs> are you anticipating children? Well, I I think we're I think that ship has sailed. I think my wife and I are past the point of being able to but we're oh. open yeah we're open to the if it happens you know yeah. you know like your like your father said you know life is a dance it's not necessarily a journey so if yeah if, if the dance takes us in that direction and so be it <laughs> nice um, yeah uh your father has been very influential on you know my whole life perspective trust me um well, in the back to the sixties, you were in your twenties. That were you? Well, you said you were married, so maybe you weren't so much a part of the the whole counterculture movement, uh, or or were you? Well, kind of on the fringe of it. Um, uh, I sort of tilted that way, uh, and that's kind of what caused our divorce, I think, uh-huh. uh, to a, a certain extent. Um, I, you know, uh, I guess the, the, the big deal was that, uh, my husband was a staunch Republican and I was a staunch Democrat. <laughs> yeah. He voted for Nixon and I voted for Kennedy. So uh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. It was, uh, you know, kind of hard. And, uh, the, I, I was more of the women's liberation. He was more of well, you need to be, um, children need to be in bed ready to be kissed when I get home from work. And you yeah. need to be there in your, your frilly little apron with nothing else and, and have a martini for me. You know, it was that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, did, so. your, did, did Alan approve of him? or? <laughs> well, not exactly. In the uh, collected letters, there's a, a great letter that he wrote to me uh on my engagement um of the the, the uh pitfalls that were uh in front of me if I married this man. So <laughs> was, was he pretty, right? Uh, basically, yeah. I you know my husband uh, tried to be on the other side um but somehow he just he couldn't quite make it there. So mm. I hear you. Uh, well, uh, let me ask you. Going back to the the topic at hand, uh, did did your father uh, have a sense? Okay, we've already talked about him being a kind of a celebrity uh, in the '60s and writing books and being a prolific author. But did he have an even greater sense of his his place in history? That 50 years after his passing, that we would still be talking about him. That People would be reading his books and, you know, listening to what he has to say. Actually, he didn't. Um, there's a famous quote of his saying that uh, in in 50 years, nobody will remember who I am. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you got that um, one wrong. <laughs> yeah, right. I think he would be absolutely astonished. I mean, you know, I, I view um, uh, a lot of the... Uh, uh, 
Facebook pages that are dedicated to his uh, teachings. And um, uh, I, I get maybe 150 emails a day from people asking to join one of those, uh, one of three of those groups that are closed groups, and you have to apply for membership in them. Um, there, I think there's about six, six or seven groups altogether, but um, it's it's fascinating uh, that they are from literally all over the world and from countries that you you wouldn't even expect, mm-hmm. like uh, Nepal. Um, <laughs> uh, I had a fascinating experience. Um, I have a, a daughter that lives down in Todos Santos in the Baja Peninsula. And um, I did a book reading down there. There's quite a group of people that uh, are involved in Alan Watts. And um, a, couple, a group of three women came in uh, by chance. They saw the sign on the street. It was a, a, a kind of a boutique bar. Uh, that served exotic drinks, and we had quite a crowd. We had about 90 people. And um, the uh, these women, uh, two were Asian and one was uh, American. Uh, so after, after my talk, I had uh, sat with them um, and talked to them, and one of them was a princess from Nepal who had heard of Alan, and was living in San Francisco and Paris. And the other one was a travel agent from Bhutan. And the third one was uh, from San Rafael, California, and had been in San Rafael during his life and had attended his lectures and so on. And they were just blown away that they were walking down the street in Todos Santos and Baja, and there was somebody talking about him there. It was pretty, pretty interesting. Oh, um, it's, it's phenomenal. And, uh, I, you know, I, sometimes I'm, I'm in some of those groups that you mentioned on Facebook and I mean, I, I see people that look like they're, you know, 18 years old <laughs> and they're, they're reading Alan Watts, you know, and, uh, it's, you know, it's motivating people who are, I, I don't even know what generation we're on now. I'm, I'm Gen X, there's millennials. I don't even know who's after that, but, you know, <laughs> I think yeah. they've lost count. Yeah. So well, that, that's, that's interesting because um, Penguin Random House, who was kind of uh, the initial major, I mean, uh, they bought Pantheon, which was Alan's made, um, primary uh, publisher, and um, they still uh, are selling his books and reprinting them and so on. And they did a study to see who read his books and it turned out it was young men between the ages of 18 and 35 were the primary readers. I believe it. I mean, it speaks to me. I mean, I'm out, I'm out of that demographic. I'm, I'm older than that, but it, it still speaks to me. Yeah. Um, I've, I've got one, uh, that I look at a lot. It's, uh, become, become who you are, become what you are. I think it is. Mm-hmm. It's a collection of his, of his writings. And, uh, I, I, well, it's actually a collection of his lectures. Okay. Yeah. I get yeah. that one all the time. We have, um, we have two parts of the family. My, I have a half brother, uh, Mark Watts, who uh, inherited the uh, audio and audio visual uh, 
part of Alan's legacy. And then my sister and I have the, the literary part of the books. And uh, Mark has taken uh, many of the lectures and transcribed them and put them into book format. Mm, okay. Yeah, I, I so, listen. I, I listened. That's <laughs> right. That's go okay. ahead. I listened to the interview you gave about two years ago with uh, with Greg Soden, um, the the Classical Ideas podcast. And so right. I, yeah, I heard um, you mention about. I guess you and Anne uh, inherited these letters from Alan's widow in '92, and uh, yeah, you it was '94 actually. Yeah. Okay. And Greg was asking you about the, you know, condition, and you were saying that they were kind of a mess. That when you first got them, that there had been a flood, some of them were damaged or whatever. But so it took, I guess, you and Ann some time to put all that together. Um, where are the letters now? Where are the actual letters? <laughs> They're to my left as we speak. Wow, really? That's awesome. <laughs> and, and, and two file cabinets, two legal-sized file cabinets. Uh, I'm actually uh, beginning to pack them up, uh, uh, all his papers that I have here. My sister has some, too, but I, I have the bulk of them. And uh, they're going to be uh, sent to an archivist in um, Maine, is it? I think I wrote this somewhere. Anyway, hmm. um, because they need to have a permanent place. Uh, some university hopefully will want them. and. Yeah, and uh, um, then they'll be available to the public. So, oh, that's awesome! Yeah, yeah. that's incredible. <laughs> um, well, what were your um, what were some of your your last memories of your father? I I know it's well documented. Uh, he had uh some problems with alcoholism, and uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, what were you close to him by the early seventies? He died in nineteen seventy three. Were you still? Yeah. Um. I I moved uh, to California in '69, and um, from Ohio, and um, I knew he was having problems with with drinking. Um, he'd come out to visit me several, you know, when whenever he came east, he usually stopped to visit me. I usually had set up a lecture for him someplace, you know, just that kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. So I I didn't see much of him during. The years between oh, um, nineteen fifty nine and nineteen sixty nine, I guess that, okay. that ten year period. Um, but uh, it was it was heartbreaking, really. Um, sure. His his wife uh, was uh, deeply involved in alcohol, and um, uh, she mm. would just pass out and be uh, a problem. So that was difficult. And um, it was difficult to see him uh, do pretty much the same thing. Although he's, he's, he always rallied. I, you know, I would, um, my husband at the time and I would have to often drive him to a lecture and um, it would be amazing to us that he would be, inebriated hmm. he'd get out on the stage and stare and he would just go off and <laughs> say what he said and people would ask questions and half the time uh he didn't answer the question but he would say something that, that's totally, something. 
that remarkable. totally somehow the person would just hang on the words, you know, and I just, yeah. it, it amazed, amazed me. And, and then there, of course, were his critics uh, that, you know, said, oh, you know, he's just a drunkard and whatever. And no, he was sad, you know, alcoholism is just a terrible disease. And he tried um, many times to, to stop. He tried to stop smoking. Um, he ended up in the hospital a couple of times with DTs and it was mm. scary. Um, so, you know, it was just, it, it was a very difficult thing. Your father was brilliant. So those critics can you know, take a hike as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Um, okay. Uh, well, at the end of each episode, I do a short segment called five minutes Zen. in it. I try to offer the listener some realistic down to earth thing or thought that they can implement in their day. Um, are you familiar with the term? So for in your case, uh, I was going to ask you, are you familiar with the term Ikigai? Uh, not that I recall. <laughs> it, that's okay. Uh, in essence, ikigai is a Japanese word that means uh, purpose. Uh, it has a little bit more of a nuanced uh, meaning, though. We, we don't really have a direct translation in English. I, I translate it as uh, my reason for getting out of bed in the morning. So with that as a definition of ikigai, what is your ikigai? What What is your motivation for life boy i <laughs> it's a hard one <laughs> well. i i have no trouble getting out of bed in the morning uh i you know i always i'm a person that is never bored um uh, i always have something that i want to do or accomplish so uh you know, just to get up in the morning and see, you know, at this time of year, I don't get to see the mountains when I get up in the morning because it's still dark. Mm -hmm. But uh, just, you know, see the the day uh, unfold. Uh, you know, I generally watch the news in the morning and I watch the, the uh, sky begin to light and the mountains in the distance. And, you know, we often have deer in our yard. Mm -hmm. And... Um, you know, it's just, uh, I don't know whether I'd feel the same way living in the city or not. Although the times that I have spent with friends in the city, like in San Francisco uh, or even New York, mm -hmm. um, there's still something to get up for. Yeah, I, uh, I, I've i lived in New York City. I, uh, I went to law school at Syracuse and then I worked in Manhattan for a little while. And uh, I'm originally from uh, Birmingham, Alabama. So uh, Birmingham's a, a little bit more cosmopolitan than people realize. Um, they just hear Alabama and they think the word, you know. <laughs> they, 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 they hear think, your accent. <laughs> right, right, right. But, uh, but and I've lived in Tokyo. Um, but now, you know, my wife and I live in Yamaguchi. It's, uh, we, we live in the Alabama of Japan. We live in like the rural, we live in the Montana of Japan because it's uh, it's just mountains and it's rural and I love it. I mean, uh, right. I don't I don't mind visiting Tokyo or you know if I went back and visited Manhattan that's great. But I I, I wouldn't take this for anything. I'm in the best place I can be <laughs> here and now. Well, uh, thank you so much, John Watts. 
the uh, the book is the collected letters of Alan Watts. Uh, the book covers a wide assortment of topics from his days as an Episcopal priest. You talked about that earlier to uh, experimentations with LSD in the 60s. Uh, just some of the letters, uh, the recipients include uh, Carl Jung, uh, Henry Miller, Aldous Huxley, Reinhold Niebuhr, Timothy Leary, and Joseph Campbell. Wow, that's impressive. <laughs> uh, I will put a link in the description to get the book. Um, what What else do you have going on? You're you're also a painter, correct? Yes. Uh, when I have time, I haven't had time recently. Right now, I'm trying to sell my house so I can um, we can move to live closer to my daughter, who's uh, one of my daughters, who's in uh, Bellevue, uh, Idaho, um, just south of Sun Valley. Um, you know, when you start to get to be my age, you start to worry about uh, your health, who's going to look after you if you have a stroke or, you know, whatever, and yeah. want to be closer to those that will hopefully look after you. Um, and uh, uh, so I, you know, managing my father's uh, um, popularity, maybe I should call it that. Um <laughs> And we've been republishing books um, and then uh, a children's book, which uh, we uh, hadn't even thought about. And a publisher came to us and uh, um, you, you'll find that also. It's on Amazon. Uh, the Fish Who Found the Sea is the okay. title of that book. And it's a, a parable that Alan uh, wrote many years ago, back in the mid 40s. And it was published in several uh, uh, youth, uh, magazines. Uh, and, um, uh, it's beautifully, very beautifully illustrated by a Vietnamese artist. And it's, it's a delightful book for children. And uh, it's good for older people too. I've had older people <laughs> want it. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, all right. I'll, yeah, I will, uh, I'll put links for all of those, uh, in the description. Um, sounds true. That's the name of the company that the children's book. Yeah. So, sounds true. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll make I'll make sure it's there. Yeah, and, uh, and interestingly, that's the company that just published uh, Ram Dass's memoirs. All right. Um. There you go. So <laughs> if you uh if you liked the episode, tell a friend. Uh, give us a good review if you're on, uh, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts. That helps us out. I thank you in advance for that. Uh, join our Facebook group, The Zen Dog Life. Uh, you can find out about future episodes and interviews. Uh, thanks again, Joan. I, uh, I, I genuinely consider this uh, one of my hi the highlights of my life. I'm serious. Well, I, I appreciate it very much. And um, please uh, uh, send me the links to those various things that you mentioned. Oh, I will. That Yes, I will be in touch. I'll let you know. This will probably come out in about a week so wonderful all right well have a great day go enjoy okay. the uh inauguration i'm, I'm uh, yeah right it's midnight <laughs> so here but uh, yeah i'll be up at 2 a.m watching that thing <laughs> <laughs> bye now <laughs>